Good morning. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. Hey, it's been a little while since we had to bust out a few extra chairs. That's nice. That's a nice feeling. Right before COVID hit, every week we were busting out chairs. Every single week. Then here comes COVID, and we were surprised, but you know who wasn't? God wasn't surprised. So, hey, and we prayed. We prayed that everyone would be here who needed to be here today. So you're an answer to prayer. Just go ahead and nudge the person beside you and say, you are an answer to prayer. Just an answer to prayer. That's you. <laughs> oh, man. Katie's uh, mentioned the shoebox ministry. That will be happening this afternoon. We're going to pack shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. Our goal was 100 What is it, Dan? $10. Looking for a $10 donation for each one to be able to pay for the shipping per box. So, so yeah, we'll, if anybody wants to give to that specifically. But um, that'll be happening this afternoon. Our goal was 100 I, th- I think we're going to beat that. We're going to make that or beat that. So we'll let you know next week. That'll be a lot of fun. If you want to be here at 2 to help pack those boxes, that will be a lot of fun. Something else going on soon. The next slide I think we have here. Um, benefit dinner for Donnie Easter. You know, Donnie's part of our church family. Everybody, everybody loves Donnie. Some people know him from TNT Grocery back in the day. Anybody remember TNT Grocery? Man, good, good pizza there always. It's now Road Rider. And uh, some folks know him from the post office. And some folks know him because they were born into that family. And we have some of his kin people here today. So um, Donnie is battling brain cancer. And this is a benefit dinner for him November 27th at Skyview Church Gym, so hope you can be a part of that. You know what our motto is here, Recreate Church? You know that motto? What is it? No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. That's what we say, and we mean that. Now, can we fix every little problem you got? No, but we'll love you through it, and I think that's a pretty good deal right there. God can do some of that. So I'm going to ask this young man in the front row to come help me with a sermon illustration. And um, if you're wondering, that toss of his head was accompanied by an eye roll. Uh, So, young man, if you will be so kind, help me out here. Um, Put on those safety glasses, please. Put on these. One time I had someone do an illustration for me like this, and they ended up bleeding. So now we do do gloves. Put those gloves on, if you will. Okay. Yeah, I've got three kids, so he's a spare. In case something happens, you know, I've, I've jokingly said through the years, you need to have at least three kids because, hear me out, you need play the odds. One of them will be financially successful and take care of you. One of them will love you enough to wipe your rear end when you're old. And then one you got to have as a backup plan in case those two don't work out. Let me introduce to you my backup plan, Elijah Shockley. Woo! I'm just messing. He's a good kid. So, Elijah, we, we work in the workshop, right? Yeah. So he's learning. He's learning. He's growing. Um, a hammer. This has got a hammer here, some nails, and this board. What I really wanted to do was take the handle off this hammer, but this is my wife's hammer. And she has another hammer that she could use on me if I were to take this the head off this hammer so here's what i'm gonna ask you to just turn around backwards and pretend there's no there's no 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 hold it by the head pretend there's no handle on this hammer you're holding it by the handle 
Okay, okay, thank you. <laughs> My son is 12. Just in case you didn't know. All right, can you nail, can you nail one of those nails in, not using the handle? How's that going? Uh, not well. Not well? Okay. But what if you had a handle? Use a handle. We have confirmed his genetics. He is a Shockley. He dropped the hammer. Hey, try this one. This one's better anyway. All right. Not a hammer. Yeah, use the hammer. No, use the handle. Use the handle. What is it doing? Look at it. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Four licks. Thank you, Elijah. Was it a lot easier with a handle? Yes. You hear that. Confirmation. Easier with a handle. Give him a hand, would you? I warned him that I was going to have him do something. I didn't really tell him what he was going to be doing. So, God bless him. He's a good sport. I was going to take just volunteers from the audience, but I didn't want anyone to get embarrassed because they couldn't hammer a nail straight. I'm like, yeah, well, that's somebody, they would be mad at me. A hammer without a handle is still a hammer. Yes? A hammer without a handle can still kind of work. If you, you could hit it, you could make it work. But a, hand, a hammer with a handle works a lot better. A handle without a hammer on it is just a stick. But a hammer without a handle on it isn't that useful. Not so different with spiritual truth. Spiritual truth is an incredible tool. But it can be difficult to put it to work in your life if you don't have something to hold on to. A, a handle, so to speak. That's a big value of Recreate Church. If you pick up one of our brochures and you look in the center, we have this line that says, we proclaim God's truth transforms us. Do you believe that? We honestly believe that if you get a hold of the teaching of Jesus and put it to work in your life, it is going to transform your life in positive ways. It's going to make a difference. So we're committed to putting handles on the truth. It's the truth, but we want to make sure people can get a hold of it in a way that they can put it to work in their lives. That's what Jesus did. He put handles on the truth. And he did so by telling stories that we call parables. Parables. Uh, will you flip one slide forward, please? A parable is a simple story that helps people understand a bigger truth. It's kind of like a, a handle on a hammer. It's not the hammer itself, but it's the thing that makes the hammer usable. You can grip it. Jesus used parables to make spiritual truths accessible, usable in the lives of people. And you didn't have to have a degree from a Bible college somewhere to understand these stories Jesus was telling. And it would take you from this thing you do understand to this bigger spiritual truth. So we're in Mark chapter 4 today. We've been studying our way through, through Mark chapter 4. And uh, Mark chapter 4 verse 1 is where we're going to start. At the time of this story... Jesus's ministry was just on fire. There were so many people. I'm going to have you back up a few just for now, Janiah. There were so many people who wanted to hear Jesus that the crowds were pressing all around him, and it was starting to become actually dangerous because he's walking around the Sea of Galilee. You ever been in a big crowd that was pushing in one direction, and they're just pushing, and they're tripping over one another? That's what was happening here, and Jesus was at the edge of the lake, and they were about to push Jesus in the lake. Not because they wanted to, but the crowd was just surging, and it was that big. So Jesus got on a boat and went out a little ways onto the lake. And this solved a couple of problems. Number one, he didn't get pushed into the lake. 
That's, that's not a good look for Jesus. Getting pushed into the... I mean, he could walk on that water and everything, but he was saving that till later on. He wasn't quite ready to pull out that trick. So he got out on the boat, so everyone settled down. It was kind of like a natural amphitheater. You know how sound carries across the water if you've ever been around, around some still water. So Jesus is out there, and he is, he's telling this story. He tells one of his most famous parables. Lots of other parables, parables explain the kingdom of God, but this one explains the hearts of the people. And um, I'm going to spoil it for you up front. Spoiler alert. So be warned, I'm about to spoil it, but I think it'll help. This is usually called the parable of the sower and the seed. And if you've hung around church enough, you might have heard this one. But I don't think it's so much about the seed as it is the soil, the dirt. It's the same seed all the way through. The thing that changes is the, the dirt where the seed lands. The dirt makes the difference. Some of the dirt is ready for the seed. Some of the dirt is not. So today we're going to learn what it means to be good dirt. Good dirt. That's the heart of the message today. Be good dirt. You can just look at someone next to you and say, I think you've got some good dirt in you. Good dirt. You're good dirt. And you're going to go home and say, the preacher, I went to church and the preacher said I was dirt. Well, don't go back to that church. But wait, there's more. I'm good dirt. I know it sounds weird, but one of the best compliments you could give somebody spiritually is to tell them that they're good dirt. Good dirt. You're going to remember this, okay? You're going to say, someone's giving you a hard time, so well, that's all right. I'm good dirt. I may be dirt, but I'm, I'm good dirt. So I, I wanted to let you know, I see some good dirt in y'all. Good dirt. I grew up farming and growing stuff, so good dirt, yeah, that's a, that's a compliment. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer real quick, and then we'll continue on. Heavenly Father, I, I pray now that you would, uh, oh, that you'd speak to us about what it means to be good dirt. We want your seed, the seed of your truth, to put down deep roots in our hearts so I pray you'll open up our hearts now that we might be good dirt in this very moment to receive your message in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus is out on the boat. Can you picture the scene? He's out on the boat. The people are on the bank sort of spread up the side of the hill. And he says, listen, listen, I want to tell you a story. One day a farmer went out scattering seed. In the days when Jesus lived, people had a very close connection to agriculture. Most people farmed in our area. A lot of our locals around here are a generation or two removed from a lot of farming. My family has been farming this Carroll County, this orange Carroll County dirt since before there was officially an America. I, I got that dirt down in my veins for sure, and um, ever since the Shockleys came over on the boat in 1650, they've been farming, and I tried to break the streak. I tried to, and I told my dad, I, I don't think I'm going to be a farmer. And uh, he said, I, I said, I haven't got any farm animals yet. And do you remember what you told me that day, Dad? He said, there's still time. And then, in 2020, we got some chickens. So here we are, 
Okay, the streak is alive. 400, almost 400 years of farming for the Shockleys. I'm pretty sure they farmed before that. So, hey, maybe you're not a farmer. Maybe you found something better to do with your life. It's hard work being a farmer. Um, but you've planted a seed, right? Like in a cup sometime, like a, like a bean. We had a, Elijah planted a bean at school one time, and that bean plant stayed alive in a cup for like two years. And it was, it only got like this big. And it grew like two beans in its whole life. And they were both about an inch long. And Elijah cooked and ate those beans. And there he goes. He's actually a pretty good, pretty good gardener. I got to, you know, props to Elijah. He likes to garden. We, we've had a garden for the last few years. And he's really been involved in that. All the kids have been. Um, and, but he's kind of like the one who's like, hey, this is my, this is my thing, my project. So you, you've, uh, you can get the picture, right? A farmer is scattering seed in a field. Imagine he's got like a big sack of wheat seeds and he's reaching in with a handful of wheat seeds and he's kind of throwing them there's a way to broadcast seed you sort of sling it you ever ever broadcast any grass seed by hand anybody you sort of like sling it and it evenly distributes it so that's what you're picturing here not somebody planting a row of like beep 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 like that but but slinging seed so it's landing mostly where the farmer intends but not completely where the farmer intense some of the seed fell along the footpath the hard packed earth of the the footpath that was nearby and birds saw that and they swooped down right away and ate that seed even if the birds hadn't found it though is a seed going to be able to burrow through that hard dirt no that seed never had a chance the dirt was so hard the root could not take hold some of the seed fell on dirt that looked pretty good it looked fine and it sprouted up quickly but as soon as the sun got really hot the seedlings just wilted and wh what happened what was that about just under that healthy looking dirt was a big rock and the seed sprouted up fine but as soon as the sun came and beat down on that seedling, as soon as it experienced some real heat, it wilted because there was, there was no depth of root. It was shallow. Other seeds fell into places where there are weeds and briars. The seeds began to sprout, but the weeds grew faster. Anybody relate to that when you're gardening? Man, I can grow a good crop of weeds. Great. The seeds, sprouted, uh, the seeds did try to get started, but the weeds took over and the sprouts were crowded out. Finally, some seed fell on good dirt. Good dirt. Wait, 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 wait. What's this message about? Good dirt. Being good dirt. Now, hey, we're here where we're supposed to be. Good dirt. This dirt wasn't too hard packed. It, it wasn't full of rocks, it wasn't full of weeds, and the seeds sprouted and grew, and they produced an amazing crop 30, 60, 100 times more than what was planted. This is the good dirt. Jesus ends the story by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if anyone has the heart to understand, they will be able to understand. 
So there it is. You get it totally right. I can stop this message now. You understand every bit of that. And, or do you want some more explanation? A little more explanation. Well, that's what the disciples said, too. The disciples, the 12, they heard, heard all of this, and they're thinking, we should really understand what he's talking about, but we're not exactly sure here. So as soon as they got Jesus on his own, they said, um, Lord, when you were talking about the seeds and the dirt and all that, um, I mean, I understood it, but I don't think Thomas over here understood it. Uh, Philip may not have got it either, but I got it. Some of the other disciples probably didn't. Could you explain, please, what you mean? And Jesus, he did give an explanation, and he gives some insight, but his explanation starts with kind of a strange statement. We're going to read that in Mark chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So it goes like this. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables... So that, and he's quoting from the Old Testament here, seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins should be forgiven them. So Jesus is contrasting here the disciples who sincerely wanted to learn what this meant with these people he calls, and I quote, those on the outside. Those on the outside is probably a reference to the religious gurus who were at odds with Jesus through all of this. They were smart people. They had education. They should have understood what he meant even more than the disciples did. Yet they were, as the disciples were determined to believe, these gurus were determined to disbelieve. They would rather call Jesus a liar than admit they needed to change anything about their lives. They, they did not appreciate that Jesus was challenging their assumptions. It's like, have you ever been doing something years and years and uh, you think you understand what you're doing and then you get married and you find out you, you fold towels all wrong. You've always folded the towels wrong. So I see the men shaking their heads there. So I feel, I feel your pain, brother. I get it. I did not even know there was a wrong way to fold a towel. And my mother would probably say, son, that's because you didn't fold any when you were living at home. Say, so, My mama, she, she would have had a heart attack if I would have folded a towel probably. I've fold, I folded some since and folded them in the proper three-fold thing. Well, who's, should we? It's three, right, sweetheart? Three, okay. I mean, I just like two is fine with me. But you have to fold them in thirds or... Armageddon could happen. Plagues of locusts. Plagues of frogs. It won't fit in the closet. Bad stuff will happen. You know, we have like a small place for towels. Anyway, they were sort of like that spiritually. They thought they were just fine. And then Jesus comes along and he challenges them to say, hey, you're, you think you've got it figured out, but there's actually a lot more to this story. It's a lot more than keeping a bunch of religious rules. It's, it's a lot more than just looking right. Things got to happen in your heart. So they, they didn't like that at all. And um, so they would see the miracles. <clears throat> they would hear his teaching. And yet they would not understand. They would not get it. Now this isn't 
talking about someone who sincerely wants to understand and God is withholding understanding from them. No, <clears throat> these folks were determined to disbelieve. And they really, that is the, the judgment here on these folks. It's not because they, they tried to understand they couldn't. No, they refused to understand the truth that was right in front of them. And I'd love to say that we're not like that anymore. And that we never do that, but we still do. So let's go to verse 13. Jesus says to these disciples, he, he said, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? And I don't think he's really fussing at, fussing at them here and saying, hey, how is it you don't, what do you mean you don't get it? Come on, what's going on here, buddy? No, I, I think he's trying to get them to understand it. This parable's important. It's kind of a spiritual test. It's kind of a key to understanding other parables. It shows that the truth is there for anybody who really wants to look at it, who wants to see it, <clears throat> who wants to believe. You know, they have these new screen protectors now for a smartphone that if you look directly at it, you can see what's on the screen clearly. But if you look at it from the side, it's like a privacy thing that it looks, looks black from the side. So if you look straight at your phone, you can see it. But the person beside you can't can't see how badly you're getting beaten by your wife at Yahtzee on your smartphone app. So it saves you from the embarrassment, I guess. Some of these parables are a lot like that. Anybody who wanted to look straight at it could see it. But anybody who didn't really want to look at it, they were going to miss it. That's sort of the story with this parable and with all parables. The truth is there if you want to take an honest, straightforward look. For the benefit of the disciples, not to mention us, Jesus goes on and explains, verse 14, the sower sows the word. Ah, what is, he, what is the seed? The seed is the word. And the word is the message from God. And the great big message from God is the Bible. That's the Word. The Word is the Bible. God can also get a message to us indirectly. I believe God speaks through our circumstances and through events, through people, through messages like this. God speaks through the circumstances. We go through the, everything you go through. God is speaking. Do you believe that? It's true. God is speaking if we will learn to listen. If, if we'll be good dirt. But, even though God speaks through circumstances and God speaks through thing, things you experience, always, always, always compare it to the clearly revealed truth of God in the Bible. If you think God is telling you to do something and the clear revelation of the bible does not support that thing don't do it don't do that thing if the bible says don't do that thing don't don't do that thing um that message may not come from god it may come from some other place or it may just come out of your own heart always compare what you think god is saying to you to what you actually see in the bible and that will keep you out of a lot of trouble if you feel like God is telling you to start a cult. Go, I'm going to go ahead and clear that you don't even have to look in the Bible. Don't, don't start that cult. So if you had like any aspirations. Now you want to start a fried chicken restaurant, try out your recipes on me, and we'll talk about it. I'll taste the chicken. I'll tell you whether God wants you to fry chicken or not. I'm, I mean, I'll, I'll put that out there. 
That's not directly referenced in the Bible, so we'll have to pray a little harder on that one. But I'm there for you because I love you and I love chicken. The Bible reveals another curious thing. Jesus is the Word. He is the Word. He is the embodiment of the message of God to us. Yes, the Bible is the Word, but the Bible says, John chapter 1, verse 1, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we learn later in that chapter, the Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Man, we could do a whole other message on that. We'll get to that sometime. But any word from God that does not bring you back around to Jesus is missing something. So, okay, we've established that the, the seed is the Word. It's a message from God. In this parable, the same seed yields very different results depending on the dirt. What is the core truth of this message? Those three words, what is it? Be good dirt. Be good dirt. Jesus is talking about four kinds of dirt here, and not all of them are good. Verse 15. These, speaking of these seeds, these seeds are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. This is the seed that fell along the hard-packed dirt of the footpath and had no chance of sprouting and putting down roots. Um, they were snatched up by birds, too. I mean, it's, they didn't have any chance at all. Sometimes people harden themselves against what God wants to say to them, especially when it means we have to deal with the stuff that we don't want to deal with when we know there's something wrong with our attitude. We know we're making choices that God would not support. And anything that sort of brings that into our face, it's uncomfortable, yes. It's very uncomfortable. So we can find ourselves not really intentionally hardening ourselves towards the message of God, but when it makes us face the stuff we don't want to face... We can start to put up that wall. It could be, be hard dirt where that seed of the word doesn't get into us. The religious gurus in Jesus' day, they felt like they had it all figured out. They were hardened to what God wanted to say to them through Jesus. They were, they were hard dirt. It, and it's not just those guys way back then. Even people who profess to believe in Jesus can be hardened to his teaching. We know we're supposed to forgive. But we insist on holding on to stuff. And you're, you'll say, hey, hey, let me tell you the story about what happened. And you'll get it. And you know what? Yep, I probably will. But, as we said a few weeks ago, yep, if I knew the story, I'd say, oh, yeah, oh, I get why you don't want to forgive them. But you're going to keep holding yourself prisoner by that. The prisoner of unforgiveness is the person holding the unforgiveness, not the person who is being the forgiveness is being withheld from. We we say we know that uh, we're supposed to seek purity, but we set unwholesome things in front of our eyes and ears. We we cross lines and we have all kinds of excuses. Say, I, I know I know I'm supposed to do this, but but here's why. And we always have an excuse, but the word of God blows up all of our excuses. Is there something the Lord's been dealing with you about and you've been resisting Him? Changes you need to make? Maybe, maybe it's salvation. Maybe you know you need to come to Jesus and be saved, but you've been resisting that. And 
holding back, just like that hard dirt upon the footpath, the seed can't take root. And the devil will snatch away that word. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Have you ever tried to grow a garden in these mountains? Wave at me if you've ever tried to grow a garden around here. You know what, when you stick that shovel in the ground, what does it hit? Pretty much every time. You ever tried to dig a hole in Carroll County, Virginia? Grayson County, Virginia? Floyd County, Virginia? Patrick County? You're going to hit a rock. Doesn't matter where you stick that shovel. You'll find you a rock. We grew up picking up rocks. But my, my house has got a field around it, and there is a pile of rocks that would barely fit in this room over on one side of the field, but I, and that has been picked up off of that field over the last 100 years or so. But I guarantee you right now, you go out there and stick a shovel in the ground, you're going to hit a rock every time. I've never grown fantastic potatoes, but I can always turn up a rock any time. We got a lot of rocks around here, but you got to get rid of those rocks because if you don't get them out, they'll stop the root from going down. The dirt looks fine on top, but there's a rock under that. That shallow dirt on top of a rock is a good place for a seed to sprout, but not a good place for it to grow because it can't put down roots. As soon as it gets hot, that little seedling is going to droop over because it's got no root. People were like that in Jesus' day. Huge crowds followed him because they wanted to see his miracles and they liked what he had to say. But it was, it was only like this deep. It was shallow. It was superficial. When, when the heat got turned up a little bit, when he started making them accountable for some things and telling them they had to face some stuff, then they start disappearing. More than once they said, oh, this is a hard saying. Who can, who can follow this? And the crowds that were all with him kind of faded away. Many people set out to follow Jesus. And the promise, I I know preacher guys like me have done this. The promise is, just come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Your experience may vary. Has your experience varied? Mine has. Jesus will not solve all your problems. However, Jesus will be there with you. And give you the tools to face what you've got to face. There's not a magic easy button that you push and your life is simple and problem free. No, no one gets that. No one at all. Jesus, did Jesus have a problem free life? No, they were telling him all the time that he was a drunkard and, and uh, possessed. And then they finally killed him. So that's, that's our leader. You know, he was accused of being the friend of, of drunks and sinners and tax collectors and all of that. So it's not an easy life um i've known people many people in my years of ministry that they they seem to have this faith that springs up like hey yes just got saved i'm on fire and everything's great and pretty quickly you look around and where are they where'd they go i mean i thought they were pretty like excited about it and then then you see them it's like man did anything really happen i mean it's People are what I call Cotton Eye Joe Christians. Y'all know Cotton Eye Joe? Where did he come from? Where did he go? Where did he come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Some of y'all didn't listen to good music in the 90s. I don't know what you were doing back in the mid-90s. 
That was like a Swedish band who did that song, of all things. Swedish. Swedish redneck uh, music. Cotton Eye Joe, where'd it, where'd it go? See, I wrestled with that one. Because I always want, I want to see people saved. Absolutely, I want to see people saved, come to know Jesus. And, the, and it's so disheartening when someone seems for just a moment to like, to it, it looks like faith. But in reality, sometimes the root just never went down. It's that rocky soil. Just like, it looked like it was sprouting, thought it was sprouting, but here comes the sun and, boop, and it's over. And it, it, heart, it breaks my heart. It's the gospel didn't really take root. It's shallow dirt. It's it's all surface and no depth. I would never want to make anybody doubt their salvation. But if you look back and and you see you had some sort of emotional experience and you came forward and or prayed a prayer and and then years later you're like I don't really think my life was transformed. I had an experience, but not transformation. Then you really want to make sure there don't settle for saying that you went through the motions i've met some folks who who whose lives were not transformed that's the nicest way i know how to put it and they had been through all the motions they had prayed the prayer they got dunked in the water but nothing really changed don't don't settle for that and if you ever come to the point where you're like wait a minute i i've been doing this but i don't know if i've been serious about it i don't feel like i've been transformed don't settle for that don't don't just go through the motions get a hold of jesus whatever you got to do get a hold of jesus and be transformed verse 16 we hear some more now these are the ones these are the seeds sown among thorns they're the ones who hear the word and then the and then the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful this world is full of distractions full of worries does it ever seem to you that life is busier than ever but you have less than ever to show for it you ever feel like you get to the end of the day like man i'm just i feel so worn out it's like i've been busy all day long and then you say well what did i do i went to work i came home I cooked food, I ate the food, I cleaned up after the food, I picked out my stuff for the next day, and I went to bed. Isabel's 18 now and got a job. And I told her for years, I said, growing up is a scam, don't grow up. Amen, adults in the room, growing up is a scam, don't grow up and become an adult. You think you get all this freedom when you're an adult, yeah, freedom to go to work. Freedom to clean up after you, it's, it's, it's a scam. And it feels like our lives are like that sometimes. And it, they get so full of stuff, so busy, there's so much noise. But is it, what is it? What, what are we really doing with it? Our lives get busy, there can be so much noise that we can't hear God. All these distractions, they, they crowd out the seed. Jesus talks about the weeds that grow up and, and crowd out the seed, and that's what happens. Life can be so busy. I don't think I understood that nearly well enough until I became a bivocational pastor for the last, well, about six years almost. Uh, bivo, bivocational is just a $5 word for two jobs. Translation, I work a regular job to support my preaching habit so I can be here with y'all. 
And that's, that's what I do because we're not really at that point for a, a full-time pastor here. We're, we're a good bit away from that point, and my life feels so busy. And sometimes I know I'm the preacher man and everything, but sometimes it feels like my life is so full that if I don't make some very serious time for God, I'll miss it. I suggest strongly to you all, if you've got a smartphone and you don't have a Bible app on that smartphone, you need to get a Bible app on that. One of the great things about living while we, where we, in the time we live, is we have that technology at our finger, fingertips. And you can turn on that Bible app and it'll read the Bible to you. Audio Bible on there. And if you don't like the old King James, if that's not your deal, you can look, find something that is a little more modern language. Get the Bible in front of you. Let the Lord speak to you. If you don't know which Bible app, grab somebody who seems to know and ask them. Get the Word of God in your life. Somehow, every morning while I'm brushing my teeth, i got a little Bluetooth earbud in. Everybody else is asleep in the house. I get up really early. So I'm listening to the Bible. I've been listening to the end part of Jeremiah, which is a little rough reading if you've ever read through that book because things are going pretty hard. But it is going to turn around before the end. Make sure you make some room. The biggest struggle for most people who are believers might be this crowded dirt. Our lives get so crowded with stuff, with noise, with activity, and we can miss the message of God. The seed of the word doesn't get a fair chance. God is speaking all the time. I, I believe that God's sprinkling that seed into our lives all the time. But we don't always have room for it. We've got to make some room. Verse 20, now we're getting to the good stuff here. But these are the ones sold, sown on good ground. What's this message about? Good dirt. Here we are, the good dirt. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. In other words, the word takes root in them, and it brings out changes. The fruit would be the positive changes. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. In the parable, good dirt is the heart that is ready for the message of God to put down roots. It's a heart that isn't hardened towards God. A heart that has dealt with some of the rocks. A heart that's made room taking some of the weeds out, room for the Word to grow. In that good dirt, the Word of God puts down roots and bears fruit, and that fruit is positive life change. That fruit is blessing for others. That fruit is transformation. The first fruits of this seed is salvation. I grew up, in a, you know, grew up around church, and if you grew up around church, you probably heard... This parable of the sower and the seed mostly as like a salvation message that uh, some people are hardened to the message of salvation and some people appear to get saved for a little while that that rocky soil then they're gone and some people get so distracted by the world and by work and worldly pursuits that that they just miss the message and some people receive the message and believe and that is absolutely one of the applications of this passage that is. That is true stuff. And I cry out to God on behalf of everyone who hears this, either in this room or through the podcast, that each person would be good dirt when it comes to the message of salvation. And the message of salvation would take root in them and there would be this transformation and be this change. Absolutely. But this parable isn't just about salvation. God continues to sow seed into our lives after we're saved. If anything, he dumps a lot more. He wants to do a lot of work in our lives. And you can be saved and close yourself off to the Word of God. 
you can be saved and have shallow faith that almost gets uprooted every time something bad happens. You can be saved and fill your life so full of noise that you can't hear God's voice. God does not stop sowing his message into our hearts once we're saved. He sows it even more. And the kind of dirt we are determines how the message of God will continue to take root in us. So here's my challenge for you. All right. The question you need to ask yourself throughout the day. What kind of dirt am I right now? What kind of dirt am I? Now, if you mumble this in your place of work, they may look at you a little funny. And you may have to explain to them, the preacher said, I'm supposed to ask myself what kind of dirt I am, and that's what I'm doing. Maybe this is a sort of conversation that should be silent between you and God and not uttered aloud. So they don't call somebody to haul you off and get you checked. But hey, if you need to be hauled off and checked, God bless you. Some, we all get there sometimes. Don't assume that you're good dirt. Don't assume that. Because it can change depending on the situation. I myself, I can tell you, in some situations, I listen to have an easier time listening to God than in, at others. Uh, when the heat is on, when life is frustrating, it's a little harder to listen. So we ask ourselves some questions. When you're in the middle of something, ask yourself, am I, am I being good dirt or am I being hard dirt right now? Am I open to the word of God and I'm hearing from God in this situation? Or is there something between me and God that's making me resist him? Am I being good dirt right now or am I being shallow dirt? I say I trust God. I say I believe God's going to take care of me. But does it really go deeper than the surface? Because right now things are crazy and wild and I don't know how it's going to turn out. I say I trust God, but do I really trust God right now? Am I being good dirt or am I being crowded dirt right now? Have I left room for God to speak? Or have I filled my life so full of stuff that if God wanted to get a message to me, he'd, he'd have to send an email and see if I check it about three weeks later. When you're dealing with something frustrating or difficult, be that people or work or circumstances, ask yourself, Am I being good dirt right now? Am I being teachable? God is speaking to me through this. I know it. But am I really open to it? Am I ready to trust God and do things His way, even if it means some change? God is speaking to you. Not just in messages like this. Not just when you have a Bible in your lap. God is speaking to you all the time. He's scattering seed in your life all the time. Calling you to salvation, obviously, but that's not the end. Calling you to a deeper and more fruitful faith to transformation. The seed is ready. What about the dirt? Got to be good dirt. Remind the person beside you, the one that's a little sleepy right now because it's a long message, say, hey, preacher says, be good dirt. Be good dirt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I love you so much. I, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be good dirt. That we would be open to your word. Open to what you're trying to say to us. And that it, your word would go deep down in our hearts and change us. Lord, please give us extra grace on those days when life is particularly frustrating or confusing. That we would be open to your, to your word. Lord, I pray 
that you'll teach us every day more and more how to be like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being a part of this. If you want to read ahead, we'll be in the next little bit of the book of Mark next week. Yep, we're still in the book of Mark. We might just go all the way through it. Was I supposed to? Oh, yes, thank you. I'm about to forget. The Bible study in Colossians and Philemon, Philemon, Yon, Philemon, Yon, Philemon, Philemon, Philemon. You know what? We'll just, when we get to heaven, let's ask him. Uh, excuse me, uh, brother, uh, brother Phil, how we say your name, and he'll tell us, I assume. 6.30 on Wednesday, that starts, that Bible study starts. If you have not signed up for that, see Lucy and David wave at the people, these fine-looking folks right here in the second row on this side. God bless you all. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. Hope you have a wonderful day. If you're coming to help pack the shoeboxes, that is at 2 p.m., and maybe we'll see you there. But you are dismissed. God bless you.